Why don't we pray as we open the Bible? Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. Uh, thank you that you pour out your promises and your wisdom and your truth and your hope and your answers, Lord, all in your Bible. But as we open Hebrews 12 now, Lord, you are speaking into our lives and into this church, into our ministries, into our relationships, and we pray that you will speak powerfully. Lord, if there are things that we need to be reminded, please remind us and show us those things carefully and clearly. We ask that your spirit, who you've freely given us, that he will be opening up your truths for us. We ask for your help in every way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we saw a little bit of running earlier when we had our kids' spot. I wonder, though, uh, and it's easy to find the kids, put their hands up and want to go for a run, but I wonder how many of us have a bit of a competitive streak. Uh, I wonder how many of you like to run in races. Did you know that there are many, many different kinds of races around the world? Uh, in Finland, for example, one more. In Finland, they have the wife carrying competition. Okay, to run in this one, you throw your wife over your shoulder, you run for 250 meters with all these obstacles in the way. If you drop your wife, not recommended for a bunch of reasons, okay, you get a 15 second penalty, and if you win, the prize is your weight in beer. Okay? And maybe beer is not your thing, but donuts are. Well, if that's the case, there is a race in the US called the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Okay, this is a charity race. It's set up by a university, uh, students at the North Carolina State University. And uh, the competitors there, they run from the university to the local Krispy Kreme shop. When they get there, they have to eat a dozen donuts. Okay, it's 2.5 miles away. They, after they eat these donuts on a full stomach, they run back to 2.5 miles again. And they have to do it within an hour. Uh, apparently, something like half a ton of donuts are consumed on the day. Anyway, it's, okay. Maybe something gets uh, slightly healthier. There's the Cooper's Hill Cheese Roll Run. Some of you might have heard about this one. It's a little bit more famous. Here you run, you stumble, you trip, you fall, you roll down a hill as you chase a rolling wheel of cheese. It's a double Gloucester cheese specifically, and it reaches speeds of up to 70 miles an hour. The person who catches the rolling cheese wins it as a prize. Let me quote. It says, broken bones, sprains, concussions, and missing teeth are, among racers are common. The cheese itself generally remains unharmed. Okay, so lots of different races around the world. What do you think, though? These events, as you see them, do they make you, you know, itch for a run? Do they make you want to be a runner? Do you want to be in some sort of a race? Well, whether you realize it or not, if you're sitting here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are already running a race. That's what the writer of Hebrews here, Hebrews chapter 12 says. Uh, living the Christian life, it's like running a race, and we get that image across the Bible in a few different places. Now, as believers, though, we're not called to throw our wives over our shoulders or eat donuts or chase rolling cheese, uh, but there is a way that we are called to run. There's a good way to run, and that's what we're going to explore today. How are we called to run this race as Christians? Before I start answering, 
Let me take just a moment to remind us of where we are in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, This letter was written to encourage the readers to not drift away from Jesus and his gospel. Okay, if we had to get a one-sentence grab, what's Hebrews about? That's the whole point of this letter. And as we get to uh, chapter 12 here, the writer had just given examples of all these Old Testament believers who persevered. That's what we heard last week from Kamal. And so our passage begins by connecting the readers to their past. Therefore, since we have the example of all these people of God not giving up, you know, of uh, looking to God's promises and shaping their life in light of that. Since we see through all of these people how faithful God is, this is how we live. This is how we run the race. The first thing that we see is that we have to get rid of everything that gets in the way of running. We have to get rid of everything that gets in the way of running the race. Let's look at verse 1 together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, looking back to that list in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you opened up my wardrobe, you would find some clothes uh, packed away that I just don't wear. Okay? Uh, some of these items of clothing, they're just for summer or winter only, and so they just come out at you know, different times of the year. Uh, some of those things, though, are bits of clothing I don't quite fit into anymore, uh, but I have this warped view of reality that one day I'm going to slim down and all of this wardrobe will be available to me again. You know, but there's an, another section of clothing in there, the things I'm not allowed to wear. Okay? Uh, see, back when I, I lived in Canada, when I was younger, more active, uh, it seemed that the rules were different. So when I did rock climbing, it's not me by the way, okay, or running or trail running, I wore what everyone else wore, lycra, you know, tight-fitting lycra. You know, it was no big deal. Everybody wore it who, who were into these activities and sports. And so when I came to Australia, though, uh, I brought with me some of my climbing gear and I brought some of my workout clothing and the guys at Bible College were just horrified. They said, you do not wear that in Australia. And then, of course, I married Alison, and she pretty much put an end to me ever putting lycra on ever again. You know. But the thing is, why do we wear certain clothing when we're active? Well, because they let us run well. They let us move and keep going. You know, to the women sitting here, you know, if you were in a race, would you wear your high heels? You know, guys, would you wear a suit and tie? Well, no, you wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't, wouldn't think you would, because it would slow you down, wouldn't it? You know, it wouldn't work. You'd probably just end up quitting and not running at all. Some things slow us down as we run the Christian race, as we run for Jesus. Uh, for the uh, original readers, this could have been a whole bunch of things. Uh, there, most likely there was pressure, as we look in the letter here, pressure to go back to the Jewish religion, and shame mixed in with that because they were leaving their old culture behind. It could have been fear because uh, fear of the Romans because Christianity wasn't a recognized religion. But what slows us down from running the race? What keeps us from wholeheartedly living out our lives as Christians? Are we too busy? You know, maybe we need to take some things off our plate, not just for our own sanity, but for the sake of our faith and that kind of focus. Are we too comfortable 
You know, we can be lukewarm because we're enticed by this world a whole lot more. It could be because living as a Christian is actually becoming more and more difficult in Australia. Uh, The temptation can be to push our visible faith to the background a bit when everyone else around us just doesn't like it anymore and it's no longer socially acceptable. It could be because we've stopped reminding ourselves of what we believe. And so we forget how good the gospel is and how gracious and loving God has been to us in Jesus. But some things stop us from running entirely. And if we look at verse 1 again, it says, the sin that so easily entangles. So let me ask you today, politely and sensibly, but also directly, are there sins in your life that are keeping you from running? Now, is there anger, for example, that's keeping you from loving people as you should? Are there dark sins? Are there things that you're just so ashamed of that you don't even really want to associate with believers? You think, well, people are going to find out this stuff about me. Look, I could list sins all day long, but this is, and that's not my point. What I want to do is encourage us all to ask ourselves a very probing question. And only you know the answer to this question. What is getting in the way of me living for Jesus? Because, see, we're never, ever called to be on the sidelines as a spectator. We're called to be running the race. If you have forgotten how awesome God has been to us in Christ, let me encourage you to rekindle your first love. It probably will mean carving out some regular time to spend with him daily. If it's fear of how you might be seen by others who don't believe, come alongside other believers who believe the same thing as you, you know, who can strengthen you and support you. You know, why not meet up one-on-one with someone else from this church family? You know, or in some cases, maybe someone older and more mature in their faith who've been running the race for a lot longer. And if it is sin that's holding you back, then repent of that sin and put it to death. You know, take it seriously. You know, put strategies in place so that you're further and further away from temptations. You know, flee from sin, it says elsewhere in the Bible. You know, talk to someone you trust about it to bring what's hidden in the darkness out into the light and exposed so it can be dealt with. Get some friends to pray with you and for you and keep you accountable. We must persevere in living for Jesus. Here we're encouraged to make sure there's nothing slowing us down or even stopping us so that we can stay in the race. And so each one of us must examine our hearts and ask, well, what's, what's stopping me? What's slowing me down? So the first point is that we must get rid of everything that's in the way. Second way that we run is by looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus. Let's read verses 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christian life is not always easy, is it? So we must know that living for Christ, it's not a sprint, as we heard in the kids' spot. It's not a sprint, but it's a marathon. And so if it is something like, if it's a long distance, lifelong run, if we don't run properly, we are going to lose focus. We are going to get weary and tired. And so part of what we do is we look to him. 
And I think there are two things on view here. Looking at how Jesus is at work in us and looking to him as an example. See, it says here that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, He's the one behind faith from the beginning to the end. And so our faith in him, it's actually his work in us in the first place. Believers are, are people who have been given a new heart by God so that we can embrace Jesus as Savior. We are his new creation. He is the author then of our faith. But faith in Jesus also, it's not just a once-off thing. Yes, there is a time when we come to faith, to use that language, uh, but Jesus, as we see here, he is also the perfecter. He's the one at work in us. He is the one who is growing us and changing us and carrying us along the journey, making us more like him, making us stronger, mature, you know, and continuing all of that until he takes us to be at home with him. I know we began this sermon by looking at some of the more bizarre races out there in the world. A whole bunch I didn't tell you about, like the zombie race, but we'll leave that for another story. You know, but there's another not-so-common one that I want to share for the next minute. Uh, back when we lived in country New South Wales, uh, there was a race held a couple of times a year just outside of Grenfell. Now, Grenfell was a little town where I was a minister a number of years ago. Uh, the thing was, this race, though, it wasn't between people. It was between guinea pigs. Okay? Uh, let me quote from the website. They say it better than I could. The ever-popular, infamous, pinnacle guinea pig races are a classic part of the festival weekend. This is a great family event. The races attract guinea pigs from far and wide to compete in not only flat racing, but hurdles racing as well on the hollow 10-meter pinnacle track. Every entrant will get to race their guinea pig. A short track is set up with grandstands for the visitors. Almost any trick in the book is allowed to get your guinea pig to the finisher's line first. Now let me tell you, it actually is a whole lot of fun. There's a picture of what it looks like. You can see on the, on the screen there, they pop the fat little guinea pigs into these little tracks. You know, and everyone cheers. There really are grandstands filled with people. They're all cheering as the little fat guinea pigs, you know, move their plump little bodies up towards the end. The thing is, though, it doesn't always work. So I was there once when uh, one of the guinea pigs just decided, I'm going to jump over the track and make a run for it. I'm just going to get out of here. You know, and they made a big deal of it, of course. The announcer saying, I've never seen anything like this in all my years of guinea pig racing. That little guinea pig, he was not looking towards the finish line, was he? You know, he didn't even want to race. He didn't want to be there in the first place. Just get me out of here quick. Well, as quick as a guinea pig go, I guess. No, but in any race, for us to run it well, we fix our eyes on the finish line and we keep aiming there, don't we? That's how we do it. For us as believers, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to his great work in us, what he has done for us. We let his gospel shape uh, all that we do as we live for him. But there's also a sense here of looking to him as our example. It's almost as if he has reached the finish line first. And so now we run the way he did, and we also see him there at the finish line urging us on. See, the writer reminds us here of what happened to Jesus. He looked to the joy before him. Glorious plan of God to save people. 
And with that in view, he deliberately endured the shameful cross to the point of death. Uh, He stood in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. Then he rose victorious and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus ran his race. And so when we are weary and when life is hard and when we are struggling and suffering, we look to him. He's our example. He's our encouragement. And as the one who has been there, he understands everything we face as we run the race. So when we're tempted, when we want to give up, when we think the rewards of this life are good enough, bring all those things to him. We look to Jesus. And I like how some of this is captured in chapter 4 of this letter. So I'll read a few verses for us. I'll put one of them on the screen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the one who has gone before us and he knows all that we go through. He's the one who has put us, set us on course in the first place. He's the one at the end calling us to himself and somehow at the same time in God's amazing plan, he is also with us every step of the way and will never let us go. If we look to him, if we fix our eyes on him, he will never disappoint us. His grace will always be there for us. See, friends, as Christians, we don't just believe in a system of religion. We believe in a savior, don't we? We must fix our eyes on Jesus. So to run the race well, we get rid of everything that trips us up and slows us down and holds us back. We look to Jesus, we keep our eyes fixed on him, And finally we see here that we run as children. We run as children. Look with me please, starting at verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Here the writer quotes from Proverbs to encourage the readers. He says that as they struggle in running the race, as they you know, struggle in living the Christian life, you know, there is another perspective that they need to know. God is disciplining us. And that's a good thing because it means that we are his children. Now, as we explore that for a moment, I want to clarify some things for us. Because uh, some of you might be wondering if that means, well, I'm, I'm facing hardship now and it means that God is punishing me for some specific thing that I have done. And I've had so many conversations with believers who have said that very thing to me. But look carefully, it's not what it says here, okay? And besides, we have to keep in mind the bigger picture. The Bible gives many reasons why we suffer. You know, we live in a fallen world and the effects of sin are all around us. Other people hurt us. Satan wants to take us down. Sometimes our hardship is a consequence of a decision that we make. 
But you know, very rarely in Scripture is there this one-on-one tight relationship between a specific sin and then an immediate and direct punishment from God. Back when my wife Allison was pregnant with Evelyn, a third child, uh, she was doing prenatal yoga. Now, this type of yoga, of course, it was nothing more than just some simple stretching and breathing for the expecting moms, you know, to help them be more comfortable and get ready for the birth. Uh, Anyway, one evening, though, before she left to go out to this yoga, um, our boy William, he was probably only about two, maybe maybe two and a half at the time, uh, he just broke down in tears. And uh, it surprised us because, you know, he knew that mom went out to baby yoga, you know, like this every week. And we tried to calm him down, find out what was upsetting him. And he looked at us, and in between sobs, he said that he didn't want mommy to go out to baby ogres. Okay. You know, he thought mom was going out to be with monsters all this time. Poor little guy. All this time, he thought the word yoga was ogres, and he couldn't get a handle on it. He didn't quite get it right. We often do the same sort of thing when we see the word discipline here in, a pa- in this passage. Uh, we don't quite understand it right, and we, we actually think it's something really, really bad. You know, we, we read these verses, and then immediately we jump to the word punishment. And so some believe, as I said, that our suffering, the hardship of running the race, is because God is punishing us. But the word behind discipline here is wider than that. It really means something like raising a child towards maturity, uh, or educating them, or guiding them. And if we look at it like this, we see the big picture of what's being said here a lot more clearly. It means that God is using the hardships that we go through to shape us towards maturity so that we get to the end that he has in store for us. Yes, there is an element of correcting here and punishment may be involved, but it doesn't stop at that. There's a wider, bigger picture of God's gracious action here. God's discipline, see, it's not like the discipline that we use as Christian or as human parents, I should say. Now, I try my best as a father. I'm not perfect, and I'm not perfect in my discipline. But verse 10 tells us that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. God takes our hardship. He's doing something with it. He's using it to mold us so that we become more like him, so that we can run the race as his children. You know, as we think of races and some of the bigger, bigger races in the world, the marathons that thousands of people entered, you notice as they run, they've got these bibs on with a number. But you know, as we run, we're not a number. God knows us as his children, intimately. And I know as I say that, you know, the word father means different things for each of us sitting here. Now, some of us uh, have or have had amazing fathers. Some of us have not been as fortunate. But whatever our experience, as we read this, we have to know that God is the perfection of fatherhood, the ultimate in fatherhood. And so scripture is just full of the blessings that come from knowing God in this way. And that means, and so that we live the Christian life knowing that we're part of the family of God. If he's our father, we're part of the family of God and we have an amazing inheritance in store. Uh, We run knowing that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children and he knows what we need even before we ask. We run clinging to God in personal and intimate prayer where we can tell him anything and everything, addressing him as our father. 
We know that God is the Father who will always receive his children back into his arms. Always. We run knowing that even when we can't understand everything, we're the children after all. You know, God is doing, as a great parent, what's best for us. We run knowing that God has nothing but fatherly love for us, sacrificial and kind and patient and gracious and abundant. And we run knowing that God as Father has provided a home for his children with him in the new creation where we'll enjoy being with him forever. The Christian life is going to be hard. But God will use every hardship, wherever it comes from, to do something amazing in our lives. He will lead us to righteousness and peace, as it says in verse 11, eventually to sharing in his holiness, as we've seen just a moment ago. Friends, do we let that sink in enough? I know I don't let that sink in nearly as often as I should. But the truth is that we as believers, we are the beloved children of the living God. The God of the universe through Jesus has accepted us as his spiritual sons and daughters. And that's an awesome and fantastic thing. That's our identity. And it gives us a foundation of hope as we run the race, as we live for him. And so that's how we run. Throw off everything that's in the way. We're not going to settle for things slowing us down and holding us back and stopping us. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is working in us, who has done so much for us and who, who has gone before us and we're looking to him at the finish line. And we run as children of our heavenly father. So let's pray and ask him for his help right now. Father, thank you for this passage and for reminding and teaching, maybe correcting us here tonight. Lord, we ask, please, that you will renew in us, each one of us here, Lord, an awareness that we're not spectators, but that we are running the race. Help us to encourage each other in the running as well. And Lord, as we run, uh, we ask that you'll build into our lives uh, the perspective, the understanding, the shape of it that we see in this passage here tonight. And so, Lord, we ask that you will guide us as we honestly ask that very deep question, what is holding us back? And Lord, whatever you reveal to us, help us to put that aside or put that to death, to deal with it in some way so that we run the race. Lord, help us, please, to fix our eyes on Jesus uh, because of his amazing work, what he has done, is doing, as we've said. But Lord, also because as we pray this, we know that we're so prone to fix our eyes elsewhere. It's just so easy for us. So please be merciful to us and gracious and help us to fix our eyes on him. And Lord, remind us and renew us and give us a great joy in knowing that we are your children. And help us to see all the more clearly all the blessings that come of having you as our Heavenly Father. Be with us, Lord. Help us as people, as individual Christians, as a church family, to run the race and run it well in your strength. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.